Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, Stephen. This is um, the caller who got cut off, um, but you used my voicemail in the beginning of the mini-sode, which made me really excited. Um, my name is Kel Davis. Um, I basically ranted too long, and um, the voicemail thing told me, like, okay, done, goodbye. Um, so, um, which one, thank you for using my voicemail. That was um, a very pleasant surprise. And the one other thing I wanted to add is, ad was um I think the best moment of watching Jurassic Park again as an adult, especially someone who studied music a bit, was the the score is amazing. And I think that's something that's like John Williams on is obviously is like honored for Star Wars and Jaws and all those. But I think the Jurassic Park theme is one of the most beautiful things he's composed. And the theme that's in that moment when Dr. Sadler and Dr. Grant see the dinosaurs for the first time is something that gives me chills every time I listen to it because I can feel that excitement, that that ardor, that love, that shock of seeing something so dear to you be real. But I just wanted to, like, finish off the voicemail. So, yay! Thank you, and um, I look forward to next month's episode. I'm planning on going to see Fallen Kingdom with a classmate of mine. So, yay. Thank you. Um, Stay sexy and stay rexy. Bye.
Coming to you from the smooth sounds of 90s jazz, it's Stephen Ray Morris and another mini-sode of See Jurassic Right. <clears throat> oh, hello. Uh, <laughs> hi, it's Stephen Ray Morris here with another See Jurassic Right mini-sode. Um, I hope everyone had an amazing Jurassic June. I know it's like almost end of July. Uh, schedule's been kind of wonky, but we'll get to that. Um yeah, I hope everyone's had an amazing Jurassic June and a mosquito fever July. Uh, still sick. And that's the time when I promote my Patreon. Hey, patreon.com slash see Jurassic right. No. Um, but seriously, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to up top thank the patrons um, who've been um, super supportive. Um, we've got a bunch of new ones. So I just wanted to read them out loud. And of course, the first one, the first name I have is really hard to pronounce, but hopefully I'm going to get through it. Um, Siobhan, 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 thank you. <laughs> Let me know if I pronounced your name wrong and I will correct it next time. Siobhan, Jessica, Crystal, Becky, Brenda, and Marissa, thank you again so much um, for supporting me on Patreon. It, it really uh, helps keep the lights on here and me dedicating my time to this podcast and stuff. So I really appreciate it. I couldn't do it without you. Um, uh, just for the non-patrons, just little things we've been doing lately. Um, I broke down the Empire interview, uh, uh, that magazine, the Empire magazine interview with uh, the podcast interview with uh, Jay Bayona and Colin Trevorrow. Um, I took a look back at the entire franchise I re after rewatching all the films. And I just was like, hmm, how does this compare to Fallen Kingdom? And uh, I reevaluated Jurassic World. That one I recorded when I was in London. So exciting. Um, yeah, so thank you again, everyone on Patreon. Patreon.com slash see Jurassic Right. Um, what else has been going on? Uh, I wanted to thank everyone who entered the Walmart contest. Thanks, Janella, again, and Universal and Walmart for providing all those sweet, sweet battle damage dinosaur figures. Uh, those should be on the mail, should be on the mail, in the mail, on their way uh, to their respective new owners. Um, and that's when I wanted to announce a new contest. Um, so Bullseye Toy is a company, um, and you've seen them if you have targets. Um, they do a lot of like those sort of, you know, pull open the boxes, you know, along with the trading cards and stuff like that. And so they've been doing some pretty awesome stuff. They have some Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom light up, like keychain stuff, dog tags again, um, which I've, uh, I've gotten ones, they did the Jurassic World ones back in 2015. And they also have trading cards, um, which is pretty sweet, which I'm excited that they finally had some Fallen Kingdom trading cards, because they really didn't have US trading cards for Jurassic World. So I'm excited we're getting some uh, trading cards here. Oh, that's my alarm because it's six in the morning. Um, oh, I should probably turn off all my alarms. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm partnering up with Bullseye Toy to give away some prize packs. So this will be pretty fun. So there's going to be, um, again, three winners. And I wanted you to tell me um, what your favorite uh, character was in Fallen Kingdom. So let me know what your favorite character is. Again, um, I'm going to make a post about it on social media so you can just respond to that post. Um, and the rules will be pretty much the same as last time. Again, international people are welcome, all that stuff. So um, 
Yeah, so that's exciting. I'm excited that I'm going to be, and then I'm talking to a few other people about some more giveaways and things like that in the future. So uh, I'm really excited uh, that uh, you know we have some some uh, people interested in uh, sponsoring uh, Sea Jurassic Right. So that's really cool. So um, again, I will have a post up next week um, for the Bullseye Toy Contest. So you can win some of these like prize packs with dog tags and trading cards and the light ups and stuff like that. So. Um, I also wanted to mention up top again, um, you know, it's just interesting doing all these different episode formats and stuff. So I hope everyone's been enjoying um, episode 14, that really epic two and a half hour, I think it was two and a half hours, uh, Fallen Kingdom sort of retrospective and my journey in the month of Jurassic June. Again, thank you everyone uh, for making that such a special experience. Um, and then uh, uh, as well as the Tess Sharp interview, which was awesome. I hope everyone out there, if you're reading um, The Evolution of Claire, let me know what you think. Obviously, jump in on the Facebook group and we can talk about it. Um, I really hope it's a success because I really want more of those tie-in novels. I think it would be incredible if we got more um, because it was so... Um, yeah, it was so fun. Uh, it was just a fun, it's just a fun novel. And also I just want to learn more about the, you know, the lore and everything like that, you know, and speaking of lore and background and history and stuff. Um, well, I'm going to play this little snippet from, um, you know, she past contributors. She's done, she's an amazing artist, Amelie Belcher. But at the end of this, I'm left wondering what happened to site B where is Site B? What happened to that family of T-Rexes? Where are the other animals? There's got to be some other lore because this franchise so far has done absolutely nothing to contradict Jurassic Park 2 and 3. We've heard nothing about uh, Isla Sorona. So where is it? What's going on? Where are the rest of these dinosaurs? I think that this universe has left open a big door, and I'm happy, and I'm glad to hear more about it. So that was a little snippet of her voicemail. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking that and stuff. So I wanted to direct people again to Raptor Reactions 8, which was, it's sort of almost like a companion piece to episode 14, whereas episode 14 was, you know, about, you know, my journey with Fallen Kingdom and, and, you know, just, just all the incredible community out there and friends and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, Raptor Reactions 8 was really that spoiler discussion thread, that meanie like, why the fuck? What? What's happening? How did they get here? Why are these compies in a, in a, you know, in a sack or whatever? But um, so, and especially uh, in that spoiler discussion, we really dive deep into what happened to Sorna, excuse me, uh, as it relates to Evolution of Claire and the DPG website and stuff like that. So, if you're curious what nefarious Dr. Wu was up to, you know, what happened to Sorna, all that stuff. Because again, I think, I think one flaw with the movie is that they didn't trust the audience to know about Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. I think they really expected people to just sort of like almost forget that those movies existed or like forget that that island in those movies was a different island. So, um, you know, I, I think if you're curious to you know, to learn about what happened. I think that spoiler discussion, the Raptor Reactions 8 episode um, is a good uh, primer uh, for that as, you know, if, you know, and then if you're really interested to know more, then you can read Evolution of Claire, you can read the website and stuff like that. So just putting it out there, Amelie, I uh, don't want to leave you hanging um, and anyone else who's still curious about what happened to Sorna. So um, 
And I'm really, I, I didn't mention this, but my, I had a prediction, like, I don't even remember where this was and what episode, but I was like, I really want Claire to say Isla Sorna or Site B, and she didn't, but she was in the scene where somebody says Isla Sorna when Eli Mills mentions it, you know, uh, the lab, Sorna, the island, it's all in the past. So I was so close, but not quite. So um, what else has been going on? Um, I've mostly been sick, um, uh, being punished for my, uh, Jurassic June sins. Uh, but other than that, I went to a July 6th park party, which was, um, you know, Chris and Jack made that excellent July 6th park meme video. They're, they're very amazingly talented filmmakers. That's only one of their, of their amazing videos. Um, and I was lucky to meet them at the trivia night, um, that I threw, um, but Michelle Oddish, who has been a part of the show, um, who I saw uh, the first screening of Fallen Kingdom with the preview screening, um, Michelle uh, threw a July 6th party and that was, it was super rad, um, you know, playing Jurassic Park in a projector and stuff like that. So it's uh, more Jurassic Park parties. It was amazing. Um, and I've been using my Universal Pass because the freaking Jurassic Park ride is going to be closed in like not even a month and a half. Like it's already almost gone. It's, it's honestly surprising how quickly this summer has gone, uh, in that sense from like JP 25 learning when the ride was going to be closed to now it being right around the corner. So, um, I feel like I've been wanting to use my pass as much as possible and, you know, just working from home and being sick. It's like, okay, like what can I do to get out of the house? That's like affordable or whatever. Um, you know, and having a pass, thankfully, like, is, is such a fun way to be able to just do an activity without necessarily having to like, Oh my gosh, like everything's expensive. But so yeah, I've been going to universal. Um, and you've heard from both of these people before who are my new friends, um, Courtney Medencia. She's a little Medencia on Instagram. We, I mean, I think we had followed each other on Instagram before we met at JP 25, but we've been friends ever since. And Brenna, hold on to your bun cakes white, aka Beeksels on Insta, aka Bonnie Puns on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> the both of us have been have been going to Universal. I mean, it's only been a couple of times, but it's been so much fun to just make that or try and make that a weekly activity, especially before, uh, especially before the park closes. Oh gosh, that's so sad. Uh, but um, I think we're going to organize some sort of last hurrah. September 3rd is when the ride officially closes. Uh, and so hopefully, um, you know, I would love to do something that day. I think it's Labor Day, you know, but um, if people can't make it out that weekend or something, because I know some people want to come from out of town. I know some members of the Jurassic community want to come from out of town and ride the ride one last time. So it would be really great if we could get a thing together. So look, stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, stay tuned. So, um, what I wanted to talk about next was the, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Jurassic world revealed. Um, it's this little Amazon Alexa thing. Is she going to talk Alexa? Nope. She's just going to stare at me silently. Alexa, say hi. <laughs> nope. Well, she decided not to. All right. You're muted. Um, so anyway, I was very lucky that Universal sent me out a little Amazon Alexa to try out the Jurassic World Revealed, which was, I mean, come on. It was, it's an audio podcast adventure set during the events of Fallen Kingdom. It was, um, it was 
so fun. Uh, it's so silly and cute and stuff. And so essentially the setup is here. I'll read you the little synopsis or the byline or whatever. Um, ready to visit Isla Nublar. Mm. Ready to visit Isla Nublar in a premium interactive audio adventure from Universal and Earplay? Travel with podcaster Janet Best in a daring attempt to report on the fate of the dinosaurs as the island do- as the island's dormant volcano roars to life. Can you use your survival instincts to make the right choices and uncover the story behind the scenes of Jurassic World before it's too late? Jurassic World Revealed is a new audio story set during the events of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. The skill is playable in six chapters, including over an hour of replayable interactive story from beginning to end. Access the first chapter for free now with the option to purchase the additional five premium chapters so um i got a chance to play it because it really is like a choose your own adventure it's this you know plucky sarah koenig uh, koenig koenig uh you know from this american life she's like you know and we learn about the dinosaurs like and what would we hope to uncover here about our fate you know or whatever like very npr podcast it was super funny it's super cute like it's very self-aware too i i I, I was like taking notes while I was going during the adventure and it's, it's a very like, what are we doing here kind of thing. And, um, there's like a mystery and it kind of interplays between the events of what we know on the Island in fallen kingdom. And, you know, there's Jesse, the podcast producer and stuff. And it just felt very like, um, it, you know, it, it, you know, it's not the, the NPR podcast thing isn't, isn't my world. You know, I come from the more, um, you know, uh, just sort of like rough and tumble LA comedy podcast scene, but obviously I'm very familiar with, you know, this American life and, and, you know, like, I don't know the moth or whatever, like I'm familiar with that kind of, you know, um, uh, like S town, you know, kind of style of podcasting. And so I think if you like Jurassic park and you like podcasts, I think this is a no brainer and it's a choose your own adventure, which is really fun. And, and it made me realize how much I love choose your own adventures. I think that's really cool. And so, yeah, it's like there's sound effects and there's, um, you know, there's moments ripped straight from the film that you're going to hear an alternate perspective of. And so it's very interesting, um, hearing this and it's not afraid to get dark and there's lots of dinosaurs and, um, and again, there's these sort of things where it's like, um, where is it? There is, uh, oh man, yeah, it gets dark. There's like a part with Owen Grady where it's like, yeah, it's with a little backstory and stuff, um, which is interesting, but it's pretty, it gets pretty dark and references to Malcolm and, you know, you get a lot of references to past events and, you know, especially Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, um, cause it's happening simultaneously with Fallen Kingdom, um, but, uh, but also great kind of self-aware moments where like, this will be a great audio for a podcast. Like, I don't know. It just, it just made me laugh. I, it just, it was so enjoyable. And there's just like, yeah, it's a very cute, self-aware, fun little adventure. Um, so if you have, you know, an Alexa or something like that, I would highly check it out. I mean, you know, the, the, yeah, I think it's totally worth the the kind of hour, hour and a half uh, t- of your time. It's like a fun little game and you get to learn like a cool, you know, it's one of these like cute little, what if there's somebody else watching some of the events that happens in the thing that you watched. And so you get to learn a little bit and it's fun. So um, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, thanks. Um, thanks Universal for sending me that. I was, I was excited to check it out again. Cause it was like podcasting in Jurassic park. Isn't that what we're doing right now? Anyway. All right. I want to dive into emails and voicemails, but first I really want to talk about this subject. And I actually emailed this, um, 
listener, um, Zelma, um, who has uh, participated before and she's active in the groups and stuff like that. She wrote a really great email and I wanted to give it some time for discussion and I want to open it up to you as well. Um, but she called it called in. She <laughs> emailed in with um, her expectations for Fallen Kingdom, you know, being worried about the film. And, you know, I mean, obviously Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom are cut from the modern blockbuster cloth. You know, that much is very true in the sense. I mean, it's it's really it's part of two worlds where it's got some of the more traditional um you know, it's not quite the same Marvel Star Wars universe building stuff, but, um, you know, I think, I think some of this stuff is some of this stuff. I think all of this stuff is really important to talk about. Um, and so I'm going to read a bit, uh, of her email that she wrote before she saw Fallen Kingdom and after, and some of our discussion and everything that we had through email. And I think it's really important and yeah, I'm excited to, to talk about it. So she, she emailed in, uh, that she was really excited about Franklin and Zia. I've been a diehard JP fan since childhood, but as I've gotten older, I've become aware of the systemic ways our culture perpetuates representation of one kind of person. JP gets a lot of love for its progressive forward thinking, particularly regarding female characters, but it hasn't escaped my notice that JP is a very, uh, is a very white franchise. So, which is very true. Um, and you know, she, she rattles it off, which is, you know, and again, it's like for some people, this might be hard to hear, but I think it's, it's really important. And so, you know, um, I looked back in my memory and on some IMDb pages and came up with this not so exhaustive list of black, brown, Asian actors we've had so far in the franchise, our beloved Ray Arnold, RIP, the cave diggers in the Dominican Republic, which were not played by Dominican actors. Um, Enrique's jealous wife in the lost world, um, Kelly, who actually contributes and survives, she says, um, the very bad Spanish speaking boat driver in JP three, RIP Nash, RIP, the Jurassic world worker gets eaten by the Indominus. Also RIP Hamada, RI, you get the idea. Um, Barry, who's a waste of Omar Sy. Um, she says, woo, pretty minor in JP. And then obviously becomes the big, you know, villain, uh, or, you know, one of the villains in Jurassic world and Fallen kingdom, um, who, and of course, uh, Miss Ronnie, who, um, you know, uh, obviously was, or I'm saying this obviously was a big character, but RIP, um, not quite a, a waste, but man, did his death bum me out. Um, so, and also it should be noted that RJ was played by a British white guy in, in, in brown face. So, which is not really cool at all. Uh, not really cool. Not actually not cool at all. Um, so for a place for a franchise that takes place in Latin America, that there have been no Latino leads until now, and only a, a handful of black or Asian leads or ensemble members, which most of them are dead by now, but yay, Ke yay, Kelly, yay, Barry, yay, woo. Um, and so, um, you know, she's, and then, um, you know, I'll just sum up a little bit of the rest of this expectations where, you know, obviously because, um, uh, Fallen Kingdom is directed by a Spanish director. Um, and you know, two of the leads are non-white. She says, hopefully this will, hopefully they will make it out to a, a hopefully they will make it alive to the end. Um, as a woman of color and Latina, this means a lot to me. Um, I have mentally inserted myself into JP countless times over the years, but it wasn't until my 20s that I realized that if JP or JW exist in the real world, the mechanics of our culture would mean that black and brown folks would be the backbone of the construction employee base of the park. This is both a sobering and unpleasant real world intrusion and also kind of delightful because, hey, that just means I'm more actually likely to work or be killed at Jurassic World. Cringe. Um, 
so yeah, I, you know, Jurassic so white. I mean, it's Jurassic Park, like she's saying, is not above the the sort of, um, you know, systemic racism of just Hollywood and the way that we, you know, like she said, like, you know, it's, it's a lot of the characters, like a lot of the POC characters really are kind of the first to go, um, you know, while our main characters are all white and stuff like that. And so I think it's really important. I thought Zelma's email really kind of, really succinctly kind of, you know, really kind of puts it all out there and stuff like that. And I thought that was really important to say or to mention. So I wanted to read her follow-up email and I'm so glad she followed up because I was going to ask her anyway, but I'm so glad Zelma that you, um, that you followed up and, uh, emailed me your thoughts on the movie. Um, so, you know, the movie, uh, oh yeah. So she's seen it four times. Um, and is re- relieved, which is, you know, which is really nice to hear because, you know, again, I think, you know, it's that thing. I think that the problem with nostalgia is that it doesn't allow us to see, you know, the realities for what the things that we like are. And I think that can be a problem, especially if the things that we like are shitty, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think it's it's kind of nice when, um, you know. Anyway, I'll I'll just read the email, but you know, she says obviously the movie is without it with um with the movie isn't without its flaws, but I view them with the same kind of affection as I view JP3. Kind of cringy, but doesn't take away from the enjoyment or doesn't make me ra- rage angry. Um don't get me wrong though, there are problems. Um and then uh you know, just the stuff with like you know, volcanic eruption, you know, blood transfusion, you know, stuff like that, which is, you know, kind of the classic problems from the movie. Um, she says I I can go on, but I won't because I can overlook all the problems. I really love the way this movie took so many risks and introduced so many new ideas and concepts. I wish it took more time and care to explore the ideas, unpack them as an old college professor of mine used to say. Um, so I love this, all this notwithstanding. I just love the way the movie made me feel. It is an emotional, cinematic, beautiful mess, which I would 100% agree with, uh, Selma. Um, so I really appreciate what you said in the spoiler mini so that this movie is for dinosaur lovers. It struck our emotions in a non manipulative way. One of the scenes I hated from Jurassic World was the Apatosaur death scene because it tried so hard to make you feel with a capital F. But Fallen Kingdom didn't have to do that at all. It may have been messy in its movie storytelling, but not in its emotional storytelling. Bayona has a much stronger, more stylized, and robust directing style that creates so much mood and feeling all the special moments are earned the brachiosaurus at the end of the dock gutted blue crying yes macy crying as she learned that learned her grandfather learned about her grandfather and her fate macy's terror of the human and dinosaur monsters claire crying as she watched the dinosaurs die also good the movie also taps into the headcanons and fantasies of so many dinosaur dreamers yes thank you Selma. It's not quite a fan fiction brought to life, but certainly a fan homage. There were several things I was worried about for Fallen Kingdom. I found that many of the elements I was worried about were included in the film, but they were handled so much more artfully than they were in JW or weren't as bad. The CG orgy I was so worried about was not as uh, not as bad as, as I was afraid it would be. The scenes were beautifully composed and the action was super dynamic and interesting. Dinosaurs were doing things audiences had never seen them do before. Sauropods flat out sprinting, dinosaurs smashing into water, T-Rex, enclosure acrobatics, etc., the mustache twirling villainy was there. Um, <coughs> Shady Siberian Mercs, evil Russian purchasing the Indoraptor, great white hunter, but the main villain Mills was very believable. He was exactly as he described, charming and disarming, but really manic- manipulative, narcissistic, and megalomaniacal. He felt so 
icky. And most importantly, the DPG was representing. Our Jurassic POC got a lot to do. I love Zia Rodriguez. Under Latin American naming customs, I would have also been a Z Rodriguez, so I'm loving her even more. Her pseudoscience speech about veterinary care and the hybridization of blue's blood had me rolling my eyes, but she really delivered on the ballsy female lead we've been missing since Sarah Harding. And Franklin was giving me all kinds of Arby vibes from the Lost World novel, except without any of Arby's insecurities. This is the kind of this is kind of grown-up Arby. He knows his boundaries. They've all been crossed. He is unhappy about his entire situation, but he pulls through in the end for his friends. The comedy hits for me. We made it, just as the ladder drops, and Zia squeezing her, squeezing his face when he knocks out Wu. And most importantly, they survive. I went to see this movie with several friend groups, and few of them consisting of POC. Every P- last POC friend explained without prompting how much they enjoyed Franklin and Zia and how happy they were um, that the two of them survive. So yes, representation does matter. Hashtag representation does matter. I've been rocking my Zia Hot Topic shirt for the last two weeks, which me- leads me to my last point. Cosplay can be fun. Okay, so I only fully cosplayed opening night, and even then it was mostly improvised, but I created many memorable Jurassic moments for this movie. Despite my trepidation without all the marketing, I was determined to make this a fun time. Unlike many of the folks in the rest of the fandom, I didn't have one big view party with a bunch of friends. Instead, I scheduled with several different groups to see it as many times in theater as possible. This weekend, we even drove to Philadelphia to see it with another uh, JP to see with another JP obsessed friend. I can credit the hype partially to you and other JP fan communities I found online since Jurassic World came out. I've never participated so fully in another release as I did for Fallen Kingdom, and I can honestly say I've had a blast. Uh, special thanks to you and the rest of the Sea Jurassic Right group members for creating this JP loving space. Much love always, Zelma. Um, yeah, thank you, Zelma. I yeah this is i don't know it's it's just so um i think it's so important to point this stuff out because like you're saying you know um it yeah representation does matter and so you know it's it's something that you know especially for for me who passes as white that like you know you just don't deal with and you don't know that it actually can make a difference and i think so many people in hollywood and and stuff like that are people who would say like who cares about this stuff it's like no but just think about it on a very basic human level watching something and seeing yourself in it is so important because it's just makes makes you happy you know to see yourself reflected on screen and in movies in positive ways you know and I think if people just thought about it that way, I think that they would, I mean, you know, you would, you know, there's probably more mills in this world than there are, you know, Zia's, but, um, in terms of, you know, the money, but, you know, I, I, I hope we get better and I hope, you know, you know, all that stuff. And, but after that email, um, Zelma and I chatted a little bit more and she just wanted to say a couple more things, you know. Um, you know, POC is a term covering a wide variety of people who are no by means monolith. I'm not trying to be the all caps letters brown person opinion, but since this affects me so closely and I take this franchise so seriously, I didn't want to not discuss it. Um, if there are any other J, uh, POC JP fanatics want to add in the convo, please do. And yes, please do. Um, I want to talk about this more. Um, I know I have my own blind spots and biases, um, I normally am the only POC in a group whenever JP comes up, so I'd love to hear from anyone else who's had similar experiences, um, thoughts and experiences. Um, and then she mentions a few other things. She had a conversation with her and her boyfriend, who's also POC, about um, you know um, <clears throat> about the film and stuff. She says, um, obviously, you know, Zia and Franklin are side characters; they're not the main characters. Um, 
And, you know, um, this is a really interesting thing. And again, this is something that I think if you're um, somebody who, you know, passes for white or, you know, if you're not POC, this is something that, but it's been something that I've heard growing up from, from friends and, and stuff like that, which is, you know, um, both, uh, both um, Justice and Daniela are, um, very light skinned POC, which is the, impl- and she says the implications of this are not lost on many non-white communities for many of our cultures, proximity to whiteness and level of fair skinness is perceived as more palatable, um, in general. And she said, and then in parentheses, colonialism and, um, racism ruin the party again. Um, and she says in the past, Hollywood has, it has given movie makers a pass because they've still cast a POC, but they're not, um, darker skin so it doesn't alienate parts of the greater white audience um and zelma says i'm not making the claim that this is exactly what the filmmakers have done here but given you know given the world we live in the racist ecology we all live in i find it very hard to believe that this is not at least an implicit bias so that's important um you know and then this is interesting discussion which i feel like i have a lot with people which is neither character says or does anything that particularly marks them as culturally different from their uh white castmates um, our friend Barry suffered from this as well. So this can be seen as an example of whitewashing. You have black brown character, but they are totally indistinguishable from the white characters to white sensibilities. They may not appear as a bad thing, but for a person of color, it serves to erase our cultural differences and force assimilation. You know that, I mean, that's the, I feel like, you know, just from, from listening to other people's discussions, it's like, do you want to be, it's almost like a catch 22. It's like either you're force assimilated or you're the stereotype, you know? And, and so I can imagine how frustrating that would be where it's like, it it almost seems like people have to choose and that's unacceptable. You know, you should have to be yourself and also, you know, feature those cultural differences and stuff, because wouldn't that just make everything better, you know, to people to be themselves and, and what, you know, and express those differences and have it not be a big deal as well either, you know, it not have to be the focal point, you know, Oh, this is the Mexican character or this is the black character. It's like, we don't want that either, but we also don't want to, you know, to have forced assimilation or whitewashing. So it's, yeah, um, I totally get it. Zelma that it's like, Oh, that's could be so frustrating. Um, and then, uh, the last point that her and her boyfriend discussed was that representation should just mean more than black brown faces on screen. We shouldn't be content to accept any representation, no matter how weak or poor we should be able to see interesting and dynamic characters who reflect our culture, but are well-written and cast. I make, I made the argument to him that many of the problems with Zia and Franklin extend beyond their casting or acting can be laid at the foot of not so great writing, which affects the other characters too, but I can't deny my boyfriend has a point there. Um, I feel better about my glowing review now that I've articulated these points. My expectations email was written with Karen thought, but was also decently glib. I wanted to take another more serious shot at these issues. JPJW still has a lot of room for improvement, but I'm still happy with Z and Franklin. Bring on more Jurassic POC, Zelma. So again, thank you, Zelma, so much for writing in. Um, I really appreciate that we could have this discussion, and I really wanted to you know, as I mentioned in my email, I didn't want you to think that I left you out of last month's mini. So just because this was too big or too, or like that, this was not something that I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to give it more time and space in an episode, uh, so that we could actually sit here and talk about it. And so, um, again, if you have any more thoughts, please send them in. And like she was saying, if anybody else has any more thoughts on this, I would love to hear more, um, because I love talking about this stuff and I think it's really important. Um, because I think you can be critical about the things that you love and that doesn't mean you love them any less. Um, 
It's like family. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, thank you Zelma, so much again. I really appreciate your email and I hope um, we can continue to talk about this because I think it's, yeah, it's really important uh, to me. So, um, and I think it should be important to everybody. So anyway. Hi, Stephen. I don't really have much of a Jurassic Park story other than the fact that my parents made me read the book before I could go see the movie. Um, and the book turned out to be quite a bit more of an education than the movie in terms of language, and I think they regretted it later, especially since I'm not into violence and therefore spent most of the movie cowering in the seat. Um, the reason I called is that I am glad to have heard you verbally confirm that the title comes from the Mountain Goat song because I was wondering whether or not C blank right was some sort of um, saying that I just didn't know and you and John Daniel were privy to it. Uh, that's all. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Thanks, Arlen, for your uh, lovely voicemail. Um, yes, C Jurassic Right is, I think, have I? Yeah, I guess. Oh, no, I mentioned it on um, My Favorite Murder. That's where it came from. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. On that My Favorite Murder episode where I talked about my, you know, going to London a little bit and stuff. Um, I mentioned that, yeah, Sea Jurassic Rite comes from Sea America Rite, which is a reference to a mountain, uh, a mountain goat's song on the album um, Tallahassee, which is a freaking phenomenal album. John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. Um is an amazing songwriter, my one of my favorite bands. And yeah, and see America Right um, is actually a reference to, I believe, a 50s Greyhound bus ad where it was like, see America Right. And then, you know, it's used very kind of ironically in the song. Um, and so yeah, when I was coming up with podcast names, I, I felt very old school, MySpace lyrics, aim away message kind of vibes and see Jurassic Right just was the perfect title because it's sort of an ironic title because there is no way to see Jurassic, right? And I think obviously as, um, or every way to see Jurassic, right? Is every way to see Jurassic Park is right. So I think that's part of it, you know, and I think that's really what I wanted this podcast to be. I wanted it to be, um, you know, a collage of voices all having their own opinions and thoughts and feelings. And so it just felt like the most appropriate, yeah, it just felt the title just felt right. And it didn't hurt that on the single artwork for Sea America, right? There's a bunch of ferns and stuff. So I was like, oh shit, it ties Fern Wave, Jurassic Park, Jungle. It was like perfect. So um, yeah, that's where that came from. So thanks, Arlen. Hi, my name is Mary Jane Dampson. I'm an illustrator studying at the Rhode Island School of Design. Additionally, my partner and I were um, just joking about how they had then taken the the whole twist about the Indominus Rex in uh, Jurassic Park, in the first Jurassic World movie was that it was all of these, like the secret ingredient what ended up being raptor DNA along with, you know, the cuttlefish and whatever else they had, you know, inserted into the dinosaur. But then it's like, oh, we're going to take the Indominus Rex and we're going to splice it with a raptor. So it was raptor squared or two times raptor. And somehow it was like even scarier. Um, nonetheless, I found the movie to be like totally incredible and really a great kind of treat for the child in me, especially considering that I did not see it on purpose. I actually was going to um, meet my partner and her roommate for her roommate's birthday at this little art house theater in my hometown. And they were at the time 
playing a uh, remastered version of 2001 A Space Odyssey. So I kind of assumed that's what we were seeing. I met them there, and they gave me a ticket for Jurassic World, and I was like, oh. And uh, because I, you know, just hadn't really followed this movie, I felt a little, like, conned into seeing it, I guess. But um, when I was seeing Jurassic World, because I hadn't really – usually I end up accidentally spoiling movies for myself, but this was the first film in a long time that I had gone in completely blind. And I found myself in the third act of the film, like, frantically Googling, does blue die when blue <laughs> – does blue die in Jurassic World? And my partner actually caught me doing that because she was like, why is your phone out in the theater? And she saw my screen and almost burst out laughing during the uh, climactic fight between Indominus Rex and Blue the Raptor, or the Indominus Raptor, whatever, however you pronounce it, and Blue, because I was absolutely petrified that there was a chance that they might pull the tragic uh, death of the main character's pet. Anyways, that's all. Thank you for your time and listening to my frantic and strange garbled thoughts. <laughs> Thank you, Mary Jane, for that lovely, for that lovely story. Uh, Mary Jane uh, was um, in the Fallen Kingdom episode as well, too. But she shared this really lovely Jurassic World story um, <clears throat> that I wanted to share as well. Tisk tisk for looking up stuff during the movie, but you know what? I'm gonna let it pass because you know, you know. It's we live in a world where there's the does the dog die dot com where you can actually check and see if the dog dies in a movie because that can be freaking traumatic. So I totally get it. Um, it just makes me think, like, does the raptor die? You know, like that's so yeah, I'm I'm so glad Blue survived into this movie where they could have her whole backstory kind of added. I was saying with somebody that Blue is almost kind of the winter soldier of of the Jurassic franchise because it's a character that in some ways um, we didn't know we loved until we got another movie where they finally kind of explain why they're important. Um, Very much like how Bucky Barnes was in the original Captain America, but he kind of grows in importance over the course of those kind of those handful of Marvel movies and, you know, from a couple years ago, um, with the winter soldier and, and civil war and stuff like that. So blue is kind of, to me, the Bucky Barnes of the Jurassic franchise. And so, um, I'm hoping we get a full out blue, uh, blue gets a robot arm, a robot claw. I don't know. Anyway. Um, thanks Mary Jane. And now I'm going to read a handful more emails of people's, um, Jurassic world fallen kingdom experiences. So let's dive into a few of those. Uh, if I can find them, got the whole music, mini so 13 document. All right, here we go. So this email's from Brenda. Actually, it was on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Right. She says, after my first viewing of the movie, there was a flood of emotions for me from the excitement of the premiere and then how deeply emotional the movie got for me. I was like, how the heck am I going to be able to watch that over and over again? Because I absolutely plan to, of course. (laughs) Haha. Now, after my third viewing of the movie, the tears are still present, but have slowed. I was able to see how well and beautiful some parts of the movie were put together. I think my appreciation will continue to grow for each viewing as I notice even more. Some of my favorite parts when Claire asks Owen if you remember seeing a dinosaur for the first time and the original Jurassic Park theme song piano comes on. It was so touching that that took me back to my seven-year-old self seeing the Brachiosaurus in Jurassic Park for the first time, which was a defining moment that started it all for me. Me too. 
when Franklin yells, we made it as he's climbing the ladder and stairs with Claire out in the control room and the dino is after him. Then all of a sudden the ladder stairs slip to the floor and he is back in danger. For some reason, his thought process of thinking he was safe that easily was just so funny to me. Three, getting to see adorable baby blues interactions with Owen. Let's face it. They are both adorable. Haha. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of this, Steven. And is that a lot of fun and joy into my life? Thank you, Brenda. Um, this, um, again, patreon.com slash C Jurassic, right? Message is from Eli and Eli says, this is Eli and I'm just writing to let you know what I thought of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I watched it as a standalone movie and didn't want to compare it to the others of the franchise. And I have to say, I really enjoyed the film as a whole. I know the villain of the movie's name was Eli and every time he was bad, I cringed because we share the same name. However, I did like the way he dressed. His suits were very impressive. My favorite dinosaurs were the copies and they reminded me of my cat Atlas. Oh, shit. I wish I had Atlas's Instagram up. Follow Atlas. Um, small and always sneaking around. One of my one of the scenes I found a bit silly was when Owen was paralyzed by the tranquilizer dart and the lava was coming, but that was mainly because the lava looked really CGI. Yeah, I don't think there... I mean, this movie probably had the best CGI, lava CGI in a movie, but yeah, go back and watch Volcano. That's some really bad vol- Volcano CGI, but I mean, I just don't think they're ever going to get um, Volcano stuff right in movies. Um, or, you know, like the, the look of lava. Cause it's such a in, impressive force of Nate, like thing of nature that just, uh, yeah. Um, the scene that got me the most was when Macy's grandpa had just died and she saw the photo of her mom slash herself for the first time. I'm not saying I cried, but I'm not saying I didn't either. I kind of felt like the dinosaur should have died at the end, but my mom said she would disown me if I didn't change my mind. Well, that's it. Eli. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thanks, Eli. And oh my gosh, yeah, that's got to be so crazy hearing your name in the movie and being like, oh no, he's a villain. So thanks, Eli. Um, This next email is from Megan. Um, She said, Stephen, (coughs) sorry if I uh, cough. Um, Stephen, last night I finally fucking saw... (laughs) How do I say that again? I finally fucking saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. This last this last month was so damn busy, and my guy and I finally had a chance to go together. We laughed. I cried a lot. He made fun of me. The huge. Oh, that's how you spell huge. U J E. On the way home, we were sharing our OG JP stories. He's five years younger than me. Ooh, older woman. Um, 
And he said his first time he saw it was when it was released, re-released in 3D, red flag, question mark, winky face. I was nine years old when the movie came out. I clearly remember sitting around the dinner table with my parents and my brother, two years older, talking about it. My dad was saying that he had read that Steven Spielberg wouldn't le- even let his own kids see it. Despite that, we all went to the movies and saw it together. My parents were never super strict about movie ratings. The funny thing is I don't remember much about of the actual seeing of the movie part other than just the feeling of awe, but I vividly remember leaving the theater in Antioch, California, and it being really bright out. As we were walking to the car, I had this overwhelming feeling that any second dinos, Rexley mainly, were going to come charging into the parking lot. I also remember thinking about how much smaller dinosaurs were than I always imagined, question mark. As a small child, I always pictured them being so big that their toenails were the size of a house. Sounds insane now. I've watched the original movie more times than I can count and cried like a baby when I saw the anniversary re-release in 3D with my best friend, Ellie seeing the Brachiosaurus for the first time and seeing all those feelings of awe over again. Thank you so much for the podcast. I follow your so- your social shit and am a murderino and just love how much you love JP. I'm currently planning a JP tattoo once I have the dough uh, to get it. I'll definitely keep you posted. Keep it up. I can't wait to hear more. SSDGM, Megan. Um, oh my gosh, those are that's some kaiju level dinosaurs. Um, but awesome. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story, um, your Fallen Kingdom experience. So, okay, here we go. Uh, a little list out. Here we go. All right. This email is from Victoria and it's titled, I Cried Watching Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Hi, Stephen. I'm a massive fan of yours from My Favorite Murder and have recently started listening to the podcast. Oh, thanks. I seen your Instagram story asking for people's experiences of watching the new Jurassic World film, so I thought I'd send mine over. I've seen all the films, and both me and my boyfriend love them. We're both animal lovers and wish we could have met dinosaurs. We've been to Universal Studios in Florida and L.A., and we pretend the dinosaurs are real on the ride there. Me too. Me too, Victoria. Anyway, back to the films. Although I really enjoyed the first Jurassic World film, I didn't think the romance. I did think the romance element was lazy. Stuck up control freak woman lets lets her hair down with burly earthly man. Aside from that, though, I loved it. Fallen Kingdom had me duped. I really thought the plot was going to be about moving animals from one island to the next and the trials and tribulations they faced completing the task. Learning that the Chloe and Claire and Owen had split up annoyed me and made me think that they would predictably get back together at the end. Um, so much so I was muttering to my boyfriend how lazily written this film was. Well, how wrong was I? I didn't expect the plot twist of them recruiting Claire and Owen to help capture Blue and that it was a plan all along to sell the animals on the black market and certainly didn't expect the human cloning element or murder. I cried during the scene where the Brachiosaurus was left stranded on the island and although he denies it, I saw saw a tear forming in my boyfriend's eye. It just made me so sad. And I thought about when the dinosaurs died all those years ago and when other animals faced extinction today. I thought of my two cats, both of whom are rescue kittens uh, who were luckily taken into a sanctuary until I adopted them and thought about the animals who aren't adopted and who don't have homes. I was crying for the Brachiosaurus and the injustice caused by humans in the animal world. Um, (laughs) My boyfriend asked me at this point if I still thought it was lazy writing. I composed myself by eating more popcorn and then find myself angry again during the auction. I mustn't generalize, but lots of rich humans make me sick. The only justice was a lot of them were eaten. I wish that was the case in real life when we see the horrible cases of shitty people killing animals for sport. Anyway, I'm going on again. Back to the film. When it was revealed that Macy was a clone, I was so shocked, but I also thought it was an excellent element to the film. It enabled her to release the dinosaurs when the gas was suffocating them without the blame of her being young and stupid and instead saving her kindred. Mm. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Victoria. Um, 
Before she pressed the button, I was crying, and then both me and my boyfriend actually cheered, me because the animals were saved, and my boyfriend because this would mean another Jurassic Park film. I was absolutely buzzing coming out of the cinema and could not wait to discuss it all the way home. That night, I spent hours Googling different dinosaurs and looking through photographs I'd taken from my trip to the New York Natural History Museum. I listened to the My Fair Murder podcast and smiled when I heard you come over to England to watch the film's premiere. That is dedication. Well, this is my experience. Thanks for letting me share it. Victoria. Thank you, Victoria. And yes, yeah, I'm I'm such an animal lover. Even these birds that are chiming in my window. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the part that really, to me, was to me the most important or the element that really grabbed me the most from this movie and kind of makes all the other flaws kind of fall away. Um, so thank you. Um, we have an email from Marissa. Marissa, who... Um, if people have been seeing those lovely photos with like the fern backdrop and stuff, um, she was so kind enough to come up from San Diego to the trivia night and, and, um, hang out and take photos and all that stuff. So it was, yeah. Um, so Marissa writes in, um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom thoughts. I've seen, um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom three times, um, and have no immediate plans to go see it again in theaters, insert sobbing emoji. For the most part, I really love the movie. It really hit my emotional connection to dinosaurs and the original JP. I know pretty much every person I've talked to or discussed Fallen Kingdom has mentioned how rough the doc scene was to watch. I ugly cried pretty much through the whole eruption sequence with all the dino deaths. There was something so beautiful about mirroring the original Brachiosaurus and JP. I think it would just be repeating a lot of the thoughts expressed in the Facebook group if I wrote all my reactions, so I'll leave it fairly brief. Um, one thing I can't really wrap around my head for Jurassic World 3 is a Jurassic movie that has no island content, which led me to the idea of Isla Sorna not necessarily having any dinos since the extra material indicated that it was abandoned, but what else could Eli have been doing with Lockwood's fortune? Is Sorna really abandoned? Is there more shady activities going on there? It's probably a a non-productive rabbit hole, but it just randomly popped in my head, so I thought I would share. And also, thanks for throwing the trivia night. Wish we could have more meetups with the podcast crew for JP Fun, Marissa. Um, thanks, Marissa. Yeah, I am. Um, also, everyone go follow Marissa at Grotesque um, um, Quigomania. I think I said that right. Your Instagram handle, um, because she also does all these amazing makeup things. She did these like Indoraptor makeup thing that is just gorgeous. Um, super cool. Um, yeah, you know, um, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, Sorno was, you know, was abandoned essentially, or sort of stripped mind by Miss Ronnie, um, before Jurassic World's opening, essentially, that's essentially, I mean, there's, it gets a lot deeper and stuff, but, um, we talk about it in that Raptor reactions episode, but yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are like, is that really it for Sorno or is there something else going on there? And who knows? I, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so we'll see. Um, you know, we have, um, and there's no reason that people couldn't try to go to Sorna and try and see if there's anything there too. So that could be its own story. So thank you, Marissa. And yes, I would love to do more um, SJR meetup stuff. Uh, you know, Comic-Con is happening like literally as I'm recording this. So I'm sad I'm not going to be at Comic-Con um, or maybe I am. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Is, is that, is that vague enough for people? Um, anyway, thank you, Marissa. Um, and I would love to do more SJR, uh, stuff. Um, yeah, it would be fun. So, um, thank you again. Uh, and the next email is from Danielle. 
Okay, so, oh yeah, Danielle's is hilarious. Okay, suspension of disbelief. She says, the most unbelievable part of Fallen Kingdom is not how they brought the dinosaurs back from extinction, but how long Owen, Claire, and Franklin held their breaths underwater when they were trapped in the gyrosphere. Love the movie, but otherwise couldn't get that moment out of my head. Um, This reminds me of a very funny story that I'm going to tell. That's not my story, but it's my friend Mia Rizella, um, who is... um, you know, I've, I feel like I've talked a little bit about her on the show before. She's a really good friend of mine. Um, you know, back, especially when Jurassic World came out, we were hanging out all the time. We saw the movie a couple of times together because um, we were neighbors and we went to college together and stuff. Anyway, um, she was um, she does the podcast. Thank you for questing. She's a very talented writer. And so she tells the story about her dad not liking the original Jurassic Park because uh at some point early on in the movie when they're in the right after the uh, Mr. DNA animation sequence the they say something like, I think it's Alan Grant who says something about like, how do you interrupt the cellular mitosis and her father who is some sort of science person was like, <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? Cellular mitosis. There's no, all mitosis is cellular. Get this, this movie's bad, get it out of here. And so I never really watched the rest of Jurassic Park after that because of that little thing. So I get it. So I don't know, you, your story, Danielle, just reminded me of that where it's like, there's, sometimes there's those little details where you're like, sure, it doesn't matter to the picture as a whole, but like, you're just like, how, ugh, you know, so totally get it. Uh, thanks, Danielle. And the next email is from Brittany. Oh, here we go. Passing on the traditions. And she says, hello, everyone as passionate about Jurassic franchise as me. Um, 25 years ago, when the first movie was released, my dad took my brother and I to the theater. At the time, I was nine and my brother was four. I know that I saw the movie in theaters before that time, but nothing ever stayed with me the way my best girl, the T-Rex, came out of the jungle and started doing her thing. Since then, my dad, my brother, and I have seen the movie each movie and opening weekend, it's our tradition. When I was younger, I either wanted to be a nun, thanks Santa Music, or a paleontologist, all because of Ellie Sattler. First crush material, for sure. This year with Fallen Kingdom, we were able to take my brother's five-year-old son to see his first movie ever in the theater. We prepared him by showing him clips on YouTube of movies past and watching Jurassic World at home. In the theater, he jumped a few times. He covered his ears at some parts, but all in all, he loved it. When we left the theater, he couldn't stop staring at all the trees and large hedges, wondering if blue could be lurking in there. Oh, I really love that so much. When the next last movie is released, I'll have another nephew to take. He'll be six. These movies created a bond in my family that we sorely needed back in 1993 when my dad became a single father of two. I love these movies unconditionally. Well, maybe not the third one. And when the OG movie was re-released a few years back, it was now my... Uh, it was my now fiance and I's first date. Oh, thanks for the podcast, Stephen, and for being so enthusiastic. Picture attached to my nephew and I post Fallen Kingdom and me representing MFM. Lots of love. Brittany in Oklahoma. Oh, you guys look so cute. And you're like a little fountain and everything. Um, that's so sweet. Thank you so much, Brittany. That's really, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what this is all about. You know, is, you know, really like, again, I forget who articulated it, but it was, you know, Jurassic, the Jurassic movies really are, you know, family in any form, you know, whether it's, you know, blood or otherwise, you know, and, and friends as well too. It's, it's that kind of you know, multi-generational bond, I think we've been able to see with this franchise, you know, more than a lot of other franchises, I think, because Steven Spielberg really did design this as a, a, you know, a family movie, that's something that adults and kids could get something out of. And I think that's really important. And I think that's really helped make this thing last as long as it has. So, um, yeah, thank you, Brittany. 
Um, so we have a couple more emails. Yeah, we have, yeah. So um, this one's from Izel. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. She says, Jurassic Feels. She says, hello, Stephen. Growing up as a girl loving Jurassic Park was tough. The toys were geared towards the boys and I'd have to beg my parents to buy me toys and don't get me started on the, sh- on the shirts. There were no shirts for girls since discovering See Jurassic Right and the community surrounding has... The community surrounding has amazing to say is amazing to say at least. It's really comforting knowing that there are other JP fans like me. In regards to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, was it crazy to think that Macy's Red Hoodie was a nod to E.T.? The movie as a whole was riddled with references to the OG Jurassic Park, and I and um my first thought was Elliot and the tip of the hat to Spielberg. No, I don't think you're wrong at all. And I think I mean Jay Biona has gone out and clearly said that the where blue is in Fallen Kingdom is a reference to E.T. that that almost essentially could be the they filmed it in the literal neighbor, you know, in the neighborhoods in the valley where E.T. took place. So um, I know somebody else mentioned the, the hoodie thing as well, too. So, no, that's a great observation. And I don't think it was and I think it was very purposeful from the filmmakers. Um, and there was also the analogy of Macy representing technology and technology being the Pandora's box and the way they weave Dr. Malcolm's testimony with the closing scenes were so beautiful. And also the infamous Brachiosaurus scene. I thought it was brilliant. It was beautiful and sad at the same time. Brachiosaurus was the first dinosaur that Dr. Sattler and Dr. Grant saw in JP and seeing them, um, seeing them turned grownups into, and seeing the, uh, seeing the Brachiosaurus turned grownups into children. I feel that this death in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom really drove the fact that the innocence is fucking dead and watching her die was the twist of the knife. Like, hold on your butt, shit's about to get real. Anyway, thank you for everything you do and I look forward to more episodes to come. Izel. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Izel. Um, yeah, man. Hold on your butt, shit's about to get real. I think that's my new, that's gonna be my new I almost feel like that's what Ray Arnold was really implicitly saying without, he just left off that last part. He's like, hold on to your butts because shit's about to get real. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Giselle. Uh, yeah. Um, so we have, yeah, two more. Um, sorry, I'm making a note. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So this is from, um, Brenna and so Brenna's written in before she's always been participating and stuff so thank you Brenna um she her thing is Fallen Kingdom melted my heart Stephen hey I just got home from staying up way past my bedtime on a work night to see Fallen Kingdom um and the whole time I was thinking I wish Stephen was my friend in real life so I could talk to him about it so thanks again for the 47th time for making me feel like my love for dinosaurs for Jurassic Park isn't weird and for creating a space where everyone from mildly interested to wildly obsessed can come together to share their dinosaur-shaped hearts with each other. Now on to the film. As you know, Rexy is the love of my life, and I was most excited to see her and about the fact they were going to rescue the dinosaurs, and I was not even remotely disappointed in these areas. All that Claire and Owen and Zia and Franklin and Macy did to save them was fantastic. They fought so hard. Claire even straddled the T-Rex, so they definitely went all out. But at the end, when Claire didn't push the the door to open... Whoa, didn't push the button to open the door for the dinosaurs to escape being gassed to death. My heart fell. I was so proud of her for being willing to do whatever it took to save him. And then she was just going to let them die. I can understand why she didn't push the button because what a hard freaking decision to make. But after all she'd been through to save them, I didn't think she would hesitate. But then little, little Macy swept in at the last second and melted my heart with her reverence for life. It was truly a beautiful moment for me because I literally cannot even kill a bug. I just want all things to live their lives and be happy. And the thought of all these dinosaurs just dying was too much for me to handle. 
And every time Rexy came on screen, my hands uncontrollably flew to my face in excitement and awe. She was fantastic. At the very end, I was tad concerned Mills was just going to get crushed under the car and not even get eaten by a dinosaur, which would have been a huge disappointment. Yes, I agree. But then Rexy swept in at the last second and melted my heart yet again as she crunched him to oblivion as I go on and on about reverence for life. But it was glorious. He was an asshole. All that to say, I was not disappointed in any way. I thought it was riveting and beautiful, and I loved every corny line and nod to the past films. I laughed and cried, and I loved dinosaurs even more, which I didn't think was possible. You don't have to share this email with the podcast. I know it's got some spoilers and whatnot, and it's like 65 million years long. But I just wanted to share my thoughts and feelings about the movie with someone who actually would care. Thanks for being the best, Stephen. Stay sexy and save Rexy. I'm not even going to try to come up with, with anything better. I'm actually not a clever girl, and this was definitely a one-off, Brenna. Brenna, Brenna, you're great. Um, thank you so much for writing in, you know, for, for having, you know, for having written in a few times and stuff. I always love hearing what you have to say, um, you know, through voicemail or through, um, through email and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I wanted to, you just brought up a really good point that I wanted to, that I thought of, which was, you know, I think, I think it really was important for, for the filmmakers to, you know, I, I think, I think Claire in that moment, it reminds me so much of it. I don't even know if I got to talk about this moment, but, but the idea that, you know, you never had control, that's the illusion. You know, I didn't have enough respect for this power and it's out now, you know, those lines from Ellie in the original. And I think that is what's going through Claire's head in that moment where, you know, she's done a lot of destructive things, um, for good and for bad, um, in this franchise, you know, in these films so far. And I think in that moment, I think she realized that maybe it wasn't her decision to make that, you know, she, you know, it's like the Malcolm thing of having kind of letting it into, you know, just the, just that kind of, you know, I think if she had let them go again, I think in some ways that's the filmmakers being like, well, we can't have people keep hating Claire for like, you know, doing things that are destructive or whatever, even if it is to save the dinosaurs, which is like, again, I would save the dinosaurs a hundred percent, no doubt, no doubt in my mind, no matter the consequences. Um, and I think, yes, I think Claire would, but also I think by the time the end of Fallen Kingdom is happening, I think she's also realized almost the extent of her power. And I think, I think if you, we had given Claire another moment and Macy hadn't been there, I think maybe she would have decided to save them. Um, but I think the way that they handled it with Macy saving in because she's as, um, somebody mentioned in a previous email, you know, they're kindred spirits and, you know, she, she is one of those dinosaurs essentially. And so having Macy save it just made it so, um, poetic and beautiful and I think even more poignant and I think it really was important for Macy to be the one to save to save them because um you know it just it just works and so um yeah I think if if Macy hadn't been there I definitely think Claire probably like you know a minute later would have been like ah oh, fuck it you know but I think in that moment it's her coming to terms with the actual you know the you know that issue of control and power i think it's her being like oh my gosh like i have not, i haven't had enough respect for that power essentially and so i think in those moments it's recalling those themes from the original um which i thought was very powerful so um thank you brenna as always for for you know emailing and contributing and 
you know, everybody, you know, I, I'm here to talk about this. I could talk about this forever. So thank you everyone for wanting to um, contribute. So, all right, here's the last email, which is a very provocative email that I really like. And then I'm going to play some conversation that I cut from uh, from the chat that Luce Tomlin Brenner, um, comedian, performer, uh, she has a new um kind of rewatch series that she's doing on YouTube called VHS where she goes through all of her like 300 VHS tapes and rewatches them uh, and talks about them and does like a live tweet and all that stuff. So you should definitely check that out. Um, but let me read this email first, um, which is from Maddie. Hey Steven, I saw Fallen Kingdom over the weekend and I just finished listening to your spoiler, spoiler laden Raptor reactions episode about it. All through the episode, I was expecting you to bring up a theory. I think the movie hinted at regarding Macy's clone when you didn't, I knew I had to write in. I'm not sure if the timeline is established family. I'm not sure if the timeline and established family tree enables this theory, but I think original Macy was Sarah Harding. Fandom pages have informed me that Sarah's father was probably Jerry Harding, the veterinarian from the first movie, but this isn't mentioned at all in the films, nor is anything else about Sarah's paternal background. As for different last names, maybe Sarah changed hers to distance herself from the Lockwood legacy. In Fallen Kingdom, Lockwood of course mentions Macy's mother went to Jurassic Park a long time ago. This immediately made me go through every woman we saw go into the park. He also says he knows she would have saved the dinosaurs. Sarah was always far more optimistic about dinosaurs than many others and did in fact save the dinosaurs in the Lost World when she repaired the baby Rex's leg. Additionally, Macy's red hair reminded me of Sarah. Um... Though maybe the franchise just likes gingers. <laughs> My favorite hint, however, comes very close to the end of the movie. We already know that original Macy died in a car crash. In his closing scene, Ian Malcolm gives examples of chaotic events to make a very to make a very Ian Malcolm point about humans and the illusion of control. The first example is a car crash. It's brief, but after he says it, he hesitates to look down as if experienced but expressing some emotion, perhaps the lingering grief of the death of his ex-girlfriend. Your superior Jurassic knowledge might shut this down shut this theory down immediately but i've never had anything to write in before and thought this was a good opportunity stay sexy and make crazy theories maddie um wow this is man this is a good one um i mean i don't want to shut down your theory i mean although sarah never went to the original jurassic park but i like your line of thinking here i love all the clues this is like a this is like a csi thing i'm like all right the breaking down i'm like paul holes here i'm just like all right but you know what circumstantial evidence and da, 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 da. but no i find this all very fascinating i would love to hear more just more theories and stuff like this um i'm trying to think if i know any other ones off the top of my head but um maybe i'll maybe i'll save this for another raptor reactions episode but i wanted to leave this um I wanted to read your email, Maddie, because I thought I thought that was so mind blowing and, and wild. So I, I just wanted to leave it here for people to make up their own mind about it. And yeah, I think there is going to be an element of um, of Macy kind of discovering herself in uh, Jurassic World three. So who knows if that means that we're going to see who the original Macy was? I mean, can you imagine if they did like a whole period piece thing where they like interplayed um, Macy original Macy going to Jurassic Park before the events of the original movie contrasted with like almost like two timelines or something. Oh my God, my mind is just going great. Like Maddie, you're bringing so many, you're bringing up so many, um, so many bananas, things that we could talk about. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we're going to have to save this for another day, but I wanted to, uh, again, end the episode, um, with some more, um, thoughts. We get into some politics, we get into some Dr. Wu 
ness um and we just dive into a few other things related to especially the villains of fallen kingdom so i thought that would be a fun thing to end on um but again thank you everyone so much for your emails and your voicemails and your support everything it means the world to me um yeah this has been so much fun i know the the this fall the fallen kingdom episode and the spoiler discussions and this mini-sode are action-packed so long but i hope everyone's been enjoying the ride and yeah i mean we're gonna we still have so much to talk about and you know even though the first season of the you know the proper episodes is ending soon uh, mini-sodes are definitely going to keep happening there's going to be more news there's going to be so much more to discuss so thank you everyone again and enjoy this com- uh, enjoy some more conversations with luce and i so uh, until next time Like, it's so relatable. And, like, I, we've talked about this, but, like, this movie has so many small digs at the Trump administration. I love it so much. I don't know if this is a question that you were going to get to, but, like, there's it's, it's a movie that is current but is not so heavy-handed that it is going to feel dated ever. But, like, the reference to um, nasty, nasty women... Toby Jones has Trump hair that even blows up when the Indoraptor screams at him, just like Trump's hair blew up on that plane. Um, uh, Ian Malcolm saying that we have a megalomaniac politics. I mean, it's a movie that is somehow so outside of our reality, but so relatable to what we're dealing with right now. I mean, it's the it's the political summer movie of the year. Well, yeah, and then the... um the BBC ticker tape thing that I was like, that I noticed because of the, one of the bajillion times I've seen this movie, I'm just like reading the background now, but like the little like president or what does it say? Like, uh, it says a uh, president, uh, states that he doesn't believe that dinosaurs ever existed. Yeah. Like in the first place, which I think is such a nice little dig. Oh, absolutely. Dig. <laughs> No, absolutely, because, uh, I mean, people already say that, but of course, what would, the idea of, like, what would Trump do if Jurassic Park was currently going on, and I think that this movie takes that question and explores it in a very subtle way that if you are um, conservative supporting of our current administration, you can still enjoy Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of your conservative listeners that I don't want to alienate. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I feel like if you, yeah, I mean, f- fuck that guy. Um, no, absolutely. No, but just, like, but, ju- but just like, but just like, I just love that. It, it's not that he doesn't believe that dinosaurs, like, don't exist now. It's like, oh, like he never even, the, the president in that world, is, like in that way is like Trump would never even like show me the evidence. These bones, they don't mean that they actually existed. You know, it's just the devil's trick or, you know, or what, what he would say, whatever could get him the most votes, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As scientists molded these sculptures to trick us into believing. <laughs> also, we haven't talked about this, but I think it's so funny that they created a set for this auction room that like we're supposed to believe that Mills just built this very specific like evil genius room to have a cage roll out into like how many millions was just that like evil bidding room oh he was so excited (laughs) he could have just 
he would have been rich anyways. That's the thing that's crazy to me. He was already doing so well. That's the thing with wealth, right? Like, why do you have to push it? You're already doing great. You got to take it into this new, outrageously Machiavellian way where it's just like, you're unnecessary, dude. That's why you're about to get torn up by two carnivores. Well, that's why my favorite moment of his is when Toby Jones's character, Gunnar Eversall. Oh, that's his name? Yeah. I don't feel like that name was ever clear. That's hilarious. I think they mentioned his last name once, but there's that moment where... And I love moments where villains have conflict with each other and villains have conflict with what's going on around them in ways they don't expect, where totally. the crowd has turned evil and they're like, <laughs> let's buy this Indoraptor. And they're Toby Jones, like Gunnar Eversall, like looks at uh, Rafe Spall's Eli Mills and he's just like, why not? You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You see them just getting cartoonishly more evil. And there's this great shot that I absolutely love because they keep jump cutting to um, two mills looking at the computer and being like, money, money. And then there's this great shot where the screen of the computer is reflected in his glasses and he has this insane smile on his face as the numbers are tallying up in his glasses. And it's it's so it's such a it's a such a funny scene, but it's also like such like a dark scene at the same time and I think it was handled really well and it was paced really well by the director because it's not too cartoonish and it's not too evil and it sits perfectly in that like getting a message across in a summer movie way yeah well and I like that it's the escalation back and forth between the crowd and the evil villains where it's not like the evil villains pushing this idea it's like they are actually their negative their their evil is reinforced by society absolutely that's such a good point and like that you can you can think someone's not that bad you could be like well it could be worse but somebody who's already you know a moral deficit and has a weak character can absolutely always be pushed to do worse You can also interact with me and the show by following me on Twitter at Stephen Ray Morris and following SJR Pod on Twitter, See Jurassic Ride on Instagram, See Jurassic Ride on Facebook, or you can send me an email at SeeJurassicRide at gmail.com. Not only am I looking forward to talking to people about their Jurassic Park experiences and hearing yours, but I also am going to be sharing ephemera from my childhood and, oh God, I'm going to share the fan fiction uh, on there as well and pictures and toys and everything. It's going to be great. And I wanted to thank Caitlin Thompson and Tim Ruggery at ACAST, Molly McAleer, Heather Mason, Stephanie Cook, Sarah Iyer, and you. See Jurassic Right is an ACAST podcast. Check out the show on their mobile app. And thank you for listening. Until next time.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.